Welcome to the Sooners Extra Podcast brought to you by Zaxby's. Cure your craving. Stop in today or visit zaxby's.com. I'm Ryan Aber from the Oklahoman here with uh, fellow beat writer Joe Masato and columnist uh, Jenny Carlson. And Jenny, let's jump right into what we saw on Sunday night with Oklahoma and Houston. We had a little technical difficulties after the game and weren't able to get our post-game podcast posted. That's all, all on me. I apologize for that. That will be fixed this week. Can we just say but, everything I said again on Sunday night? Yeah, let's just uh, break that down <laughs> just again. Just overlay your audio <laughs> right. into this podcast. Here I am from Sunday. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it but, was brilliant. I was tired, though, so this might hopefully be better. Well, let's start off with uh, what you wrote on Sunday, yeah. which was about the Oklahoma defense. We saw Kenneth Murray out there uh, flying around and I think playing in a different way mm-hmm. than we've seen him play the last two seasons. His his tackle numbers have been phenomenal the last two years, but the way that those tackle numbers came together, maybe not as, as phenomenal. I'll, I'll just admit it. I sort of scoffed, and I said this on Twitter, when Kenneth Murray was voted the, the Big 12 preseason defensive player of the year. And it's just one game, so let's not overreact, but that's what we do is overreact. <laughs> so eh, let's overreact a little bit. <laughs> well, he looked like that kind of player on, yeah, on Sunday. He did. He did. And, you know, I, you're asking me to talk about linebackers making a difference for the Oklahoma <laughs> defense, which I feel— We need, we need a sponsor for <laughs> Jenny Carlson's linebacker references. <laughs> linebacker moment with Jenny yeah um but no I think this is the type of play again small sample size uh, small disclaimer small sample size but this is the kind of play that when you think about Oklahoma linebackers of yesteryear whether you're talking about you know immediate past and you know it's it's um uh you know Curtis Lofton, or you want to go back further and say Teddy Lehman, or back further Rocky Calmus, Torrance Marshall, or back further, you know, into the the Switzer era, you know, the Bosworth, on and on. These are the type of linebackers that that came up to meet ball carriers that you know blew up plays that made that made things happen, and that was the type of thing that Kenneth Murray was doing on on Sunday, and you know the one even though. Uh, his first, the first tackle of the game, which I referenced and what I wrote about, was sort of a uh, an eye opener because you hadn't seen that sort of thing out of him or really any Oklahoma defender much last year. While that was impressive, as much as anything, I, I the the play that now sort of stands out in my mind is one I asked him about after the game uh, was in the third quarter. It ended up being that touchdown drive that Houston had that included the three Oklahoma penalties that were not very good. But early in that drive, uh, Derek King, the, the Houston quarterback, was chased out of the pocket, flushed to his right. Kenneth Murray chases him and closes on him in a way that I don't think I've ever seen Kenneth Murray close on anyone, even though, like you said, Ryan, his tackle numbers were so high. Derek King gets rid of the ball, throws it away because Kenneth Murray's breathing down his neck and Murray wraps him up and takes him down. And there's a big ovation. Uh, not only I don't I think for Murray, but for the defense, but you know, Kenneth Murray playing great gets an ovation from the fans at that point. I asked him about that after the game and he said I wasn't really supposed to do that. You know, that wasn't that wasn't the design of that play, but I found myself in a position where 
Derek King was, where I was, and I just decided I'm going for it. And it was a great decision, and he made a great play to force him to get rid of that ball. And to me, that sort of speaks to different mentality, different setup for these guys. And again, one game, I know, but positive returns in the way the defense was affecting the action out there. Uh, unlike a lot of what we've seen the last couple of years. Yeah, it seems like uh, I know a lot of the, the narrative uh, o- over the weekend has been that this defense played really well for a quarter, quarter and a half, and then uh, fell off after that. But when you look at really the first three quarters, uh, I think Houston had, what, uh, 10 points uh, a- after three quarters, and then things uh, uh, started going sideways a little bit there in the fourth, but um, this was, I think, a little bit better defensive performance than a lot of people, I think, uh, that just look at the raw numbers at the end, Mm -hmm. maybe uh, got a feel for. Well, because I think what Houston ended up with 408 yards, and I got my math off a little on Sunday, so I'm kind of not exactly sure of the stat, but I think in the fourth quarter of those 408 yards, Oklahoma gave up like 179 of them. So they gave up a lion's share of those yards late, and I understand you want. And by the way, Houston scored seventeen after three. I think the the seventeenth yeah. uh, uh, point came with about three oh three left when they in the third when they went from uh, ten to seventeen points. Obviously, you want to close better than that. I get that. You want to finish better than than they did, but they were in a position where at that point you start to roll in your second team guys, maybe even some third team guys. Some stuff's not – it's not going to look as great, you know. And Derek King's still a really good quarterback, you know. Um, I don't know if I'm buying Lincoln Riley's comment after the game that he's – there may not be five better than him in college football, but – there, There's not ten. There's not ten, yeah. I, I could maybe say that he's wrong about five, but you're not going to get too far down the list before you get to Derek King on the top quarterback. So there's going to come a point when he's going to start to, you know, have some effectiveness. You know, we saw that even late in the, the first half. So – I think that I don't want to excuse it, but in some regards, I understand it because, you know, there has to come a point when you don't, your starters can't be out there every moment of every game, not in the non-conference and not when you're leading by three scores. You got to, you got to give those guys a chance to be fresh in game 10 instead of wearing them out in the Houston game. Yeah. And Joe, I think that was one of maybe the more encouraging things I saw of this defense on, on Sunday especially when you talk about the defensive line, and I know Jenny and I just talked about this on a, a video that we recorded. Uh, yes, they, there were some really good signs from Neville Gallimore and uh, Ronnie Perkins and uh, Jalen Redman, especially on that that uh, starting group there, but they were able to rotate some guys in. Uh, you know, We saw Redman and Stokes uh, rotate through. Marquise Overton uh, came in there some. I think we're going to see more of it even with Kenneth Mann healthy and, and Dylan Fahmatow healthy, which uh, apparently at least Fahmatow will be ready to go on Saturday. We'll see about Kenneth Mann. But uh, the depth there just seems a little bit different than it's been the last couple of years. Yeah, you, you can tell it's different because you know when Lincoln Riley was asked today about some of the most – he mentioned Ronnie Perkins as the most impressive guy on defense, and I think that says something about the defensive line and especially – you know, Kenneth Mann, he has not been talked a lot about through fall camp leading up to this season, um, but he was a defensive captain for OU last year, and not to have him out there on game one, not to have Fah Matau out there on game one, and you're rotating in Stokes, uh, who, who's a first-year player for, for OU, Redmond, who played in three games last year, Perkins, who's just a true sophomore, 
you're seeing more depth up there. You're seeing more activity on the defensive front. And you're seeing, as we've talked about, more guys sort of forcing the issue on the other side of the line of scrimmage rather than just taking up space on, on their own side. Yeah, so th- I think that's something to watch. Um, you know, maybe not as much this week as they play South Dakota, but moving forward, the way that uh, Oklahoma's defensive line is able to to move around, to stay fresh, you know, what are they going to look like in the, the third and fourth quarter of close games versus what we've seen uh, the last few years. Uh, and, and I think, uh, I know this will, uh, you know, brighten Jenny's heart, that I, I think that that's going to make things easier for the linebackers as well. <laughs> no, you're right about that. No, I think that, you know, we for years – with the with the Stoops defense or the Venables defense or the combination of whatever however you want to say that, you know I think the idea of funneling plays to linebackers, you know, you, it's not to say that you didn't have defensive linemen that could affect things, but there was definitely more linebackers and then let them chase and make plays and they got away from that, but they also got away from, you know, what's the what what do you do in the interim if you don't have linebackers for us in the action well they didn't really have defensive linemen doing it either <laughs> so you know they look to have some guys that you know when you look at a guy like Ronnie Perkins he just looks like he's going to terrorize some people this year i yeah. mean physically looks like he's he's ready to 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 do some stuff joe yeah i i know everyone's you know People don't like to bring up the SEC in this part of the country, but he looks like an SEC defensive lineman. I mean, that's just you know one of the things that we previewed going into that Alabama game last year is that OU probably had one guy on their defensive front in Neville Gallimore that could have been on Alabama's too deep. I think Ronnie Perkins could be at this point. I think Jalen Redmond might be. Um, they're just getting more guys up front that look like you know NFL caliber prospects already. Yeah. Yeah, and Joe, let's stick with Jalen Redmond a little bit. I wrote about him in uh, Tuesday's Oklahoman. Uh, my days are still oh, a little off. <laughs> no, when you said that, I was like, wait, what day is it? Sunday game, the holiday on Monday, Ooh. everything throwing, throwing it off. But it was in Sunday's Oklahoman, or excuse me, was in Tuesday's Oklahoman <laughs> that I wrote about Jalen Redmond. Um, you've written about him before through the eyes of his teammates. Um, it, it really a positive thing for Oklahoma to have him back on the field, period, but then he certainly looked like a player who could be what I think a lot of us expected to be, and as importantly, doing it at a different spot where you can get Jalen Redman and Ronnie Perkins on the field at the same time together. Yeah, he's dynamic. I think that's a duo that people are going to really come to enjoy and already enjoy after after week one with Jalen Redman and Ronnie Perkins. And yeah, you, you wrote a great story on him and just sort of his path back to football it was was uncertain I mean this is a guy that we talked to his mom last year she didn't even want him to play football at all last year Mm -hmm. he was diagnosed with blood clots came back playing three games they popped up again which probably is another red flag that maybe he's not going to play and and then comes back this year fully healthy from from everything we've heard and he sure showed it Sunday night yeah, that was uh, really encouraging for the Sooners. Jenny, we saw a couple of, of freshmen play fairly significantly on the defense, one really significantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marker Stripling is a guy we haven't uh, touched on yet. Uh, saw some positive things from him. David Ogwegbu, uh, which is going to be one of our hard names to spell. I enjoy <laughs> I'm let saying you say it, that. though. Thank you. Um, <laughs> got out there as well. Um I think that Ogwegbu can be a guy whose role sort of grows as the year goes on. 
He's an Alex Grinch guy. He was brought in specifically for this defense. The only guy in this defense right now that was uh, brought in specifically uh, for for this defense and Alex Grinch. But uh, you know the the defensive freshmen haven't gotten as much attention as the offensive guys have, and you understand yeah. why. Yeah. But uh, you know, there's a couple guys over there who are going to contribute pretty quickly. Yeah, you know, and I I think that just speaks to a larger truth that um, I think Barry might have said it during our ill-fated podcast after the game, but, you know, he said, I think we can, even though it is Houston, again, small sample size, one game, not a Big 12 (laughs) opponent, all that, understanding that. (laughs) However, let's overreact. (laughs) However, I think we can say this defense is going to be better. How much better? Probably depends on guys like that. I mean, yeah, you're going to need to see um, Jalen Redmond and LaRon Stokes and on and on and on. You know, the guys that are going to play a lot of snaps, you're going to they're going to have to continue to improve. But how much better, you know, can this team be in a position to potentially go toe to toe with a Bama or a Clemson or somebody like that if they get to the college football playoff? A lot of that probably has to do with the depth that they can develop with some of these younger guys. How, you know, can they go from maybe eight snaps today to 12 snaps by midseason to, you know, how how much can they trust them and how can that help the depth and the overall um, stamina of this defense? Uh, I think that's really going to be telling because I think this is a better, it's going to be a better unit. The question is how much, and a lot of that is still very much left to these players, really. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting after the game that Alex Grinch said, you know, we want to play a lot more than just the 11 guys everyone's talking about. And then he said, did, did we play close to 22? And he said pretty close. So I, I think you're looking at a, a full two deep there. And four four true freshmen, I think, recorded a tackle. Ogwegbu, who we mentioned, Stripling, Jonathan Perkins, Jaden Davis. So they already showed a lot of their depth, and, and that was, you know, in, some of them in meaningful minutes. Yeah, so we'll we'll see which which of those guys uh, wind up being under the redshirt rule. But I don't think most of us expect you know most of those guys to to play significantly more uh, than those four games. I think the the two that I mentioned early and, and Jaden Davis especially, but uh, certainly wouldn't be a surprise if Perkins uh, winds up playing more than four as well. So uh, that's going to be something uh, certainly to watch moving forward for the Sooners. We're going to take a break here on the Sooners Extra podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Aber, here with Jenny Carlson and Joe Masato from the Oklahoman. And this is the Sooners Extra podcast presented by Zaxby's. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zaxby's. Cure your craving. Stop in today or visit zaxby's.com. Uh, Ryan Aber back here with Jenny Carlson and Joe Masato. And uh, Jenny, we spent the first segment talking all about the defense and what we saw over there. Let's shift our attention to the offense. Certainly, uh, Jalen Hurts uh, maybe wasn't as elated with his performance as I think a lot of people expected yeah. him to be, which I think maybe if you were expecting him to be, you weren't paying attention to what uh, he was at Alabama, what he is at Alabama. Right. I mean, he's very much still in that Nick Saban mold 
of the process and uh, being just really disappointed and ticked off every time something goes bad. But there was a lot of good uh, on Sunday with the Jalen Hurts. No doubt, no doubt. And I think his his, uh, overall efficiency and accuracy, to me, those were the things. Now, those aren't the sexy things. You know, the sexy things are the big runs, the big throws, all that sort of stuff, Um, all the touchdowns, six touchdowns, 508 total yards. I mean, that's – those are the headline grabbers. But, you know, you're 20 of 23, and, Joe, he only missed one ball. Two of those three incompletions could have been caught. And the CeeDee Lamb one, because I said CeeDee was catching three touchdowns. (laughs) And he dropped one, CeeDee Lamb. You're on my – you're on my bad list. Got to help me out here. Um, you know, balls that could have been caught. And then, you know, I just think he managed the game really well. Yes, I know he had basically credit for two fumbles. One of them was him getting hit. One was seemingly a botched handoff late in the game with a down the the uh, down the depth chart running back. So maybe you understand that a little more. But other than that, I mean, it's hard to argue with that that efficiency that we saw out of Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I thought it was interesting just hearing him again recap his game today. And I think it was Barry who asked him this this morning is, was he asked to make any throws against Houston that they didn't ask him to make at Alabama? Mm -hmm. In other words, did they really open him up um, in his OU debut? He didn't really give a great answer and said, you know, He just goes out there and executes the game plan. But I think we're already seeing the first signs of of this. That's It's not – even in a one-game sample size, it looks to be a different Jalen Hurts. Not, not, only, not just skill set, but just what's asked of him. I mean, I think Alabama has a reputation. You cannot argue with anything Alabama does. But they protect their quarterbacks a little bit more, don't ask a ton of them. Lincoln Riley asks quite a bit, and I think through uh, one test, Jalen Hurts passed. Yeah, I, I think to me, and I, I wrote about this uh, in Monday's Oklahoman, the, the the throw that really stood out to me was the one to CeeDee Lamb, the touchdown, uh, just because of the way that he made it to throw it, uh, what was it, 45 yards in the air, about 45 yards. It was a 45-yard touchdown pass. Mm-hmm. He was a little bit behind the line of scrimmage, and um, CeeDee Lamb caught it a little bit before the goal line, but there was nobody within 15 yards of him. Uh, when he did but that throw to me showed uh, an arm strength that we hadn't really seen shown off by Jalen Hurts much but the accuracy to go 20 of 23 um, was uh, not not shocking but a little bit surprising to see that he was able to to fit into that as quickly as he did, and it wasn't just leaning on a C.D. Lamb or uh, you know some of these other guys that have been around a long time. It, you know, Grant Calcaterra. It was spreading the ball around yeah. to Charleston Rambo and Nick Basquin and, and his fullbacks and Jaden Hazelwood and in the back the running backs. Trey Sermon caught a caught a ball. Um, ten AD, receivers, AD right? Miller and Michael Jones. Yeah, ten receivers. Yeah. Uh, Rambo, Basquin, Hall, Hazelwood, Lamb, Sermon, Calcaterra, Miller, Braden Willis, and Michael Jones. Wow. All caught passes. Yeah. No safety blankets there. <laughs> no. So it wasn't just him, you know, getting comfortable with just one guy. It was spreading around. And I think that that is really encouraging for this offense moving forward. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I think it, I think it uh, you know, is going to be um, – 
it's going to be com- it's going to become a comfort to Jalen Hurts and this offense to be able to do that, and it's going to be an uncomfortable situation for defenses if you know if you if you looked at it and you thought, well, he's just going to throw the ball a bunch of Ceedee Lamb, you know, a bunch of Grant Calcaterra passes, which. If he did, would anybody say that's a bad idea? I mean, those two guys are really good. So you'd think, well, that's okay. That's not so bad. But, I mean, and again, um, it's not to say that as they get into the meat of the schedule and you're facing Big 12 teams and you're, you know, up against it a little bit more that he doesn't get comfortable with those guys, uh, you know, or other guys. I'm not – those those two aren't specific to this. But – Well, I think to me – Charleston Rambo is a guy who could wind up being one of those guys that yeah. he does find comfort in yeah. and and sort of look to. Cause we and kind of, kind of in that intermediate area, don't you think, Ryan? Yeah, he can yeah. do a little bit of everything, yeah. and, and I think that's important. I mean, that's what – heck, that's the reason why CeeDee Lamb is what he is, because he can do a little bit of everything out there. And I, I think Rambo can, can be that guy uh, this year. Yeah, you know, I, I'm sure you guys touched on this on the post game pod that is no longer uh, that is being replicated now. We might have, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> Say it anyway. But I, I thought it was interesting. You know, his first scramble when he, you know, shifting to his running game a little bit when he kind of very safely got out of bounds, and then it was like, okay, they've clearly told him not to get hit and sort of do the Kyler Murray, and then he spends the rest of the game Getting just it. running in there and not, not you know. Not only avoiding contact, but seeking out contact and being a strong run <laughs> runner. Just what did you all make of that, and was it surprising in a way? Well, first of all, we got to give Trammell credit to Barry Trammell because he brought up that exact point uh, afterwards. That the out of bounds the, run. The, the okay. Yeah. Jalen Hurts takes off if out of bounds. If only I could have listened. And uh, <laughs> it was great. By the way, I'm just going to jump on a grenade and say that this was my fault. This uh, the post game podcast fiasco was my fault. It's and just I, the see, it's just the opener, Ryan. I mean, as long as you get it figured out by like yeah. OU Texas first game jitters. I think we're yeah. okay. Don't well, worry about it. We better be all right post uh, OU UCLA here yeah. in a couple weeks. We'll, when we'll figure it out. We're out in LA. Um, I'll check my own mic level that day. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody needs to. But the the lost audio track of Barry Trammell on that podcast, I promise you he said I heard it with my own ears and so did Jenny. Yeah. Said that, uh, yeah, the first one, Jalen Hurts runs out of bounds yeah. and you're thinking he's going to protect himself. He's going to protect himself. And then he didn't do it again the rest of the night. This was a different kind of runner than we've seen with Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield. And we knew he was a different kind of runner. Yeah. But seeing what he did uh, with the football on Sunday was really impressive. And, and I think, uh, not going to say that he's going to run 16 times a game, but uh, I think he's going to run it a whole lot more than we've seen other guys do. You know, and I, I, I don't know, maybe this just translates better in person than it does on TV. Because I've seen Jalen Hurts play on TV. We all have. Now, granted, he didn't play this much, you know, for a, a long time. But and so so maybe what I'm what I'm about to say is a product of him evolving and improving. But we knew he was a strong runner because he's a strong guy. But to me, his vision, his patience, and just the smoothness with with which he ran, that was impressive to me. Um, you know, and again, I'm with Ryan. I don't necessarily know that they think running Jalen Hurts 16 times a game, especially if he's going to take contact 15 times, is a great idea. But he he impressed me even more as a runner 
than I thought he would, and I already thought he was a good runner. So, yeah, I was. That was a that was a wow for me. Yeah, Baker Mayfield. Just to put this in perspective, Baker Mayfield ran for had sixteen or more carries twice in his OU career, um, or excuse me, once in his OU career, twice in his uh, college football career. He did it once uh, against Texas against Texas. Uh, when he was at Texas Tech in 2013, and then uh, uh, in the 2015 Red River rivalry game, mm. had 18 carries, but a lot of those were sacks. Uh, he he wound up rushing for for negative five yards in that game. So uh, this is, uh, like I said, a, a lot different than what we've seen. Yeah, you know, I'm with you all in that. I I don't think that's going to be the norm. That many carries. But I wonder if he's a guy who, you know, just to get – not that he relies on his legs to bail him out as an inadequate passer because he showed how good of a passer he can be. But I wonder if he needs sort of those runs to just get into the flow of the offense and to feel comfortable out there. Yeah, so, so, sorry. I'm uh, um, I looking at Kyler Murray's running stats and something confused me because for a second I thought I was looking at Jalen Hurts and he had to have him Oklahoma <laughs> had versus a heck of a Alabama. Well, <laughs> What's happened here? Well, I mean, looking Jalen Hurts has a lot of games uh, built true. up as well. But the point is, Kyler Murray uh, had 20 carries against uh, South Carolina when he was uh, at Texas A&M as a freshman, 156 yards. Hmm. Uh, so uh, a very similar he only threw for 223 that day. But uh, Kyler Murray's other time he went above 16 carries was against Alabama mm. uh, in, in that Orange Bowl with Jalen Hurts on the other sidelines when he ran for 109. You know, I will say this, and I, I, I uh, Ryan, you wrote about the, the throw to CeeDee Lamb wide open uh, for the touchdown uh, was was the crux or the start of your, your story coming out of the game on Sunday. And... Uh, you know, Joe, you bring up the comfort level and getting himself going at, more at ease. And I will say that the thing about that throw was in the in the moment before he threw the ball, it looked like he had a wide open running lane. And you thought, my gosh, he could run for 15, 18, 20 yards. So he's going to take off and go. Then all of a sudden he throws it and you think in that moment, what's he doing? Run. You've yeah. run all this time. Run. And then you realize in that moment that you thought he was going to run, Houston's defense thought he was going to run, and here they came up on him, and there goes C.D. Lamb. And the ability to allow that to develop, the willingness to be patient, to see if that Houston defense does suck in towards you when you look like you're going to take off, that to me is a great, great sign for this Oklahoma offense because that's maybe not something that Jalen Hurts does uh, in his two years as a starter at Alabama. Maybe, maybe, maybe he does. But I just think it's it's a, um, a maturation. Uh, I even asked him a little bit about that. He said, I'm not the player, and I, we've probably, we're probably going to hear this quote from him about seven gazillion times. I'm not the player I was as an 18-year-old freshman at Alabama. Uh, I mean, some of us have already heard it from him about right. a half a gazillion <laughs> times. So we're on, we're on, on just this morning. We're, we're on pace. <laughs> yeah. But I do think that that's one of those things that, you know, if you're looking for how is Jalen Hurts different now? How is he different with Lincoln Riley? How is he evolving as a quarterback? To me, that's one of those moments that, you know, you sort of highlight and, and come back to because that's the, the, the run game might have been where he sort of 
and there were there were instances where he probably did have some open receivers and opted to run. I, I think there was a couple of those that we commented on in the in the press box. But that play to to CD to me was indicative of a higher level, and so it's going to be interesting to see how does that evolve for Jalen Hurts and for this offense. Yeah, no doubt about it. We're going to take another break here on the Sooners Extra podcast and be back with the final uh, segment. Uh, be sure to bookmark Red River Rivalry Radio.com for Oklahoma, Texas Week as we launch a 24 hour, seven day long pop up radio station celebrating this historic rivalry. We look forward as we go live October 5th in preparation of the October 12th showdown. I'm Ryan Aber, and this is the Sooners Extra podcast presented by Zaxby's. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zaxby's. Cure your craving. Stop in today or visit zaxby's.com. Joe, um, Jenny and I had our normal view of the, the uh, game on Sunday, sitting uh, high up in the press box right about the 50-yard line, which is a, a good view. Nice seat. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 like, uh, I like the perspective we have at OU versus some of the other places that we go. But uh, – you had a little bit different uh, adventure on on Sunday night. Tell us a little bit about what you did and, and your experience watching this game. Yeah, just trying to tell the game story through a little bit different of a lens. I mean, as anyone in the stadium saw at halftime, Ricky Dixon, um, his wife Lorraine, and three of his kids were on the field um, for a ceremony for his upcoming induction to the College Football Hall of Fame. I actually spent the first half of the game at Barry Switzer's house um, who was kind enough to, to host us and also uh, R- Ricky Dixon and his family and just to sort of take in that moment of what it was like to, to watch Ricky back in Norman sitting uh, just beside the couch of his old at his old coach's house and to have his family there with him. And, you know, the underlying story to all of this is that in 2013, Ricky was diagnosed with ALS, um, and at the time he was given um, – five years to live so I mean he's in year six now so just to give you a glimpse of where he's at but he's still stable um he, he still is keeping up his spirits but um you know he's he's just totally dependent on a caregiver right now and on Lorraine he, he can't do much by himself he can't talk or walk um, but his mind is still there and that's what my main takeaway was you can just like look into his eyes and see that you know he's still he still has his mind he can still hear you he just can't respond um but it's just sort of you know really sad to see um and, and doctors have told the family that repetitive head injuries are likely what brought on the ALS and and now as more and more research is being done on CTE there is a correlation doctors think between ALS and CTE um which is, you know, just kind of where the state of football is right now and to show you how much more progress still needs to be made to make the game safe, and it probably can't be made safe. So it's just a a thing that is hard to reason with. It's interesting to me, Joe, to have a guy that is suffering from such a debilitating uh, disease that might have and likely has a, a tie back to his football days and yet to be by his old coach mm-hmm. in his old college town, recognized by his university for his football and yeah. watching the game. I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, it, it 
and again, because Ricky Dixon struggles to communicate, it's 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 well, we may never know sort of how he processes still being linked to football and a game he loved to play um, and now might might be part of why he's suffering through what he's suffering through. Yeah, it's interesting because he's, you know, you might not expect this, but he still loves football. They said, you know, no matter what level of game is being played, he, he's going to turn the TV onto the football game. Mm-hmm. And I, I talked to his son, RJ, who's 24. RJ stopped playing football going into high school. He said he's more of a bookworm like his mom was. Mm-hmm. Um but he says that, you know, his dad doesn't have regrets playing. He said he just would have played a different position. He said he, he if he could go back, he would play corner, uh, which, you know, might be more in coverage and avoiding some of the violent hits that he made at safety. And, and it's just, you know, to hear Switzer talk about him, he was always undersized. When he was recruited, no Southwest Conference school offered him a scholarship. Switzer told him, eat two Big Macs a day and all the fries that you can handle, put on some weight, and come to Oklahoma. I don't Oklahoma. think that's how Tiffany Bird goes about uh, <laughs> yeah. adding weight different, on these guys. Uh, the, the 80s were different, I guess. Um, <laughs> There's no so, doubt about that, Joe. <laughs> so, you know, he's a guy who relied on, you know, an undersized body, but he relied on his speed, and that's when you just saw the vicious hits that he took and, you know, targeting and spearing guys and stuff that we just don't really see anymore um so he he would have played football he just would have played the game differently yeah and uh joe one of the remarkable things about this story and there's all kinds of remarkable things that have gone on around ricky dixon is the job that his wife has done lorraine in uh you know caring for him in uh you know sort of being his spokesman at times Mm -hmm. um because of the the limitations on communication and it, it's just always amazed me every time I've talked to her, every time I've read things about uh, her and the family, about Ricky and the family, um, the bond between those two and, and the job that she does, uh, you know, helping Ricky. Yeah, she's an absolute saint. I mean, she just is an incredible woman, and their story is so cool. They they were college sweethearts, met at OU. Because um, she's from Tulsa, Yeah, I she's think? from Tulsa. Booker T? Yeah, so um, knows what this is all about. And she just, you know, is his primary caregiver day in, day out. She has to wake up super early. Sometimes she gets home late. Um, she works really hard. She's an attorney with the EPA mm-hmm. um, based down in Dallas. So, And, you know, she's got kids to take care of and, and everything like that, but she doesn't complain at all. She she still keeps smiling, and um, she said this really touching thing that, you know, sometimes Ricky will see her get emotional. Sometimes she'll see him get emotional, and they then they'll snap out of it. They won't let each other do that because they just have a positive attitude, and, um, you know, it really puts in perspective maybe some of the things that we complain about on a day-to-day basis to see how they stay positive. I hope, Joe, that um, while – I almost said Saturday. Ugh, I avoided that for so long. I While Sunday may have been a physically difficult day with the travel and everything for Ricky, I hope it was a positive day for him because there are a lot of tough days mm-hmm. when you're going through what he's going through. So, and and for Lorraine too. I mean, let's let's be honest. Being around friends, old teammates, I hope that was a good day for them. 
Yeah, I think it was. There were definitely tears of joy from from both of them. And, you know, in the stadium, he couldn't, because of physical limitations, he couldn't be in the stadium. Um, but they had kind of an OU Athletics, you know, uh, person involved in the media department who were filming him, filming him into the stadium. And in that moment, he started to tear up a little bit. And you could just see the emotion on his face. And um, through Lorraine, Lorraine said how much it means to him just to be remembered. Like that's all, that that meant a lot to him. And I think a lot of people remember him. Yeah, there's no doubt. You know, I grew up in this, this, uh, in this area of the state, grew up in Oklahoma City, watching those teams in the the mid-'80s and, and Ricky Dixon, you know, People obviously talk about what's going on with him now, and, and rightfully so, but he was a heck of a ball player and uh, made plays all over the field, and uh, there's he certainly deserved that he's going into the College Football Hall of Fame. Well, and Joe, I was with Barry Trammell when you were talking to him before the game on the phone, so I was on the Barry side of the phone conversation talking about just the style of player that Ricky was, and he was obviously on some of those extremely flamboyant Sooner teams with <laughs> with Switzer and you know Casillas and yeah, all those Bosworth, all yeah. those <laughs> names and those personalities, and he was not that guy. He was not the flamboyant guy until the game started. Then he wasn't flamboyant, but he was amazing, and so his play was where he really spoke the loudest, which I thought was very – hit that right on the mark. I thought that was a very poignant thing to say about Ricky Dixon. Yeah, Switzer described it in the same exact way that, you know, he, he didn't do much talking, although Switzer did tell a, a good story that – Of course and, he did. <laughs> Switzer, Switzer did tell a good story. Good stories. <laughs> um, the understatement of the century. But in 84, his, his freshman season um, – Longtime DBs coach Bobby Proctor told Switzer that, hey, I'm going to put Ricky Dixon into the game. It was week two against Pittsburgh, and he said, predictable third down situations where we know they're going to pass, we're going to put Ricky Dixon into the game. First play, Ricky Dixon goes in, picks off a pass, returns it for a touchdown. <laughs> and uh, Switzer said that Ricky Dixon was way out ahead of the quarterback, but the quarterback was chasing him. Ricky Dixon's holding the ball out behind him, <laughs> kind of teasing the quarterback. <laughs> Switzer jets down the sidelines. Ricky Dixon thinks he's running to come celebrate with him, and uh, Switzer's like, no, I was going to chew his butt out on that one. So um, He didn't do much talking, but he, he did do that early on in his career. <laughs> what a memory. So uh, really, Joe, looking forward to reading that story. It'll be in uh, Wednesday's edition of The Oklahoma, and I hope you'll pick that up. Give it a read at oklahoman.com as well. Let's take a quick look back uh, on Sunday. Saturday. I know. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. So close. Take a quick look back on Sunday here real quick before we wrap it up. Uh, Jenny, we've talked a lot about Jalen Hurts, Mm -hmm. uh, but outside of Jalen Hurts, who is the one player that impressed you the most uh, Sunday night? Um, Oof. It's hard to go against Kenneth Murray. Boy, uh, just looked like um, I think one of us might have made the comment after the game. Had he been in a different jersey, I would have been convinced that it was a different guy. Um, Just affecting the game. We talked about him in the first segment, but affecting the game in ways we hadn't seen him. Probably him, but there were lots of guys I think you could say were really impressive. Yeah, I mean, I'm – I. Just from what I was talking about, I was uh, 
wasn't able to fully pay attention at all times, but I will tell you that uh, this could be another story, but sitting at Switzer's house, he kept mentioning number nine, and that was Kenneth Murray. So I think when he gets the attention of Barry Switzer, you know he's doing something <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt about it. I'm going to go on the other side of the ball. Uh, I'm going to go with Charleston Rambo. There's a lot of uh, wide receivers who are, are going to put up strong numbers in this offense i think uh cd lamb we only saw him with a couple catches with the one obviously the long touchdown pass i think his numbers are going to be really big this year but i think charleston rambo has a chance to grow into for a lot of the things that we talked about in the first segment uh his versatility ability to be a big uh, a deep threat guy but also to make plays in in uh in tight spaces I, i think charleston rambo has a chance to be a really big part of this offense and was really encouraged by what uh by what he was able to show on sunday night you know charleston rambo keeps saying uh people are sleeping on me people are sleeping on me it's going to be hard to ignore what he does if he keeps us up after that that catch that he had in the uh, orange bowl against alabama and uh, the, the performance that he had against the Cougars. So uh, looking for big things from Charleston Rambo uh, here moving forward. But we're going to wrap up uh, this edition of the Sooners Extra podcast there. Oklahoma will be back in action on uh, Saturday night. It is a Saturday this time, we promise, 6.30 p.m. on pay-per-view. So uh, if you haven't made your arrangements to find a place to watch or, or get that ordered, uh, you better get on it. Uh, we'll talk about that game a little bit more uh, in in our next edition of the podcast a little bit later in the week. Hopefully, we'll have a good guest on where we're uh, trying to make that happen. So uh, you can also send us your questions, especially on Twitter at R-Y-A-B-E-R. You can direct your questions toward me. We'll have a mailbag segment in the, the other podcast. Joe and uh, Jenny, tell people how to reach you. Yeah, so at Joe underscore Masato on Twitter, and then the email is J-M-U-S-S-A-T-T-O at Oklahoman.com. Yeah, uh, Oklahoman.com is my email with J Carlson at the beginning, and then Jenny Carlson underscore OK on Twitter. All right, so uh, again, we'll be back uh, a little bit later this week with another edition, but thank you so much for listening to the Sooners Extra Podcast from the Oklahoman. Uh, the Sooners Extra Podcast, once again, presented by Zaxby's. Cure your craving, stop in today, or visit zaxby's.com. You can check out our work every day at oklahoman.com and every morning in the Oklahoman for the best OU coverage anywhere. <laughs>